Good morning, my relatives. It's Mark Charles. Today is Tuesday, June 6th. Sitting here with my second cup of coffee. And there's a few things I'd love to discuss today, things going on around our world. But uh, yeah, before I begin, let me do as I always do, which is acknowledge I'm speaking to you from what are now, um, what's now called Washington, D.C., but these are Piscataway lands. And I want to honor the Piscataway as the host of the land where I'm living. I want to thank them for their stewardship of these lands. And I want to just state how humbled I am to be living on these lands today. So, uh, James, thanks for joining. Glad you're here. There's quite a few things we need to talk about. Um, so I'll just jump right in. I don't want to go too long today. But if you follow the news, especially the political news, you know that over the past several weeks, there have been a plethora of uh, Republican candidates getting into the 2024 uh, campaign. I believe Mike Pence is scheduled to enter the race this week. I think Chris Christie is going to join in. There's already been Tim Scott and, of course, excuse me, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and many others. But, uh, yeah, but yesterday there was some news that came out that was fairly interesting. I'm going to share this tweet with you. It's uh, Cornell West. So yesterday he tweeted, I'm running for truth and justice as a presidential candidate for the People's Party to introduce America to the best of itself, fighting to end poverty, mass incarceration, ending wars, and ecological collapse, guaranteeing housing, health care, education, and living wages for all. So there is a link to Cornell West's, Dr. West's tweet. And now I'm going to give you an article. There were several. They all basically said the same thing. One that went a little more in depth was this one on the New York Times, but it didn't go too much farther in depth. Um, basically, just people are kind of, I think, uh, copying his press release that went out. But, um, yeah, uh, Cornel West is in the race, and he's running in 2024 as a candidate in the People's Party. So if you remember, the People's Party started out of some Bernie Sanders reporters or supporters after the 2020 election. And they were, for a while, you were hearing a lot from them. Um, they were having, at least I was hearing a lot from them. They were having a lot of conference calls and kind of organizing stuff and trying to get things going. And I haven't heard that much from them in the past uh, year or so, but I wasn't even sure if they were going to have someone running. But then this announcement came out yesterday uh, with Cornell West announcing. And so it looks like the People's Party is really going to make a very uh, viable effort in this 2024 campaign, which I'm definitely interested in following. Um, Dr. West intrigues me as a candidate. Um, I'm going to try to find out more about everything he's standing for and how he's going to run. Um, I'm also very intrigued by the People's Party. You know, when I when I ran in 2020, I got a lot of questions about why I didn't run with one of the two parties or why I didn't run with a third party, either the, the Green Party or another party that has been out there for a while, which might have been able to give me some more platform. Um, the reason I didn't go with a third party was it takes a lot for a third party to establish itself. Um, basically, when you go run as a third party, not only are you putting a, a non-traditional candidate against 
other very traditional candidates, but you're putting the machine of a third party against the machine, well-established machines of the Democrat and Republican parties. And so you're, you're fighting it at two levels, right? You're not just running a scrappy independent campaign. You are literally putting not only a third party candidate against a, 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 a major party candidate, but you're putting a, a third party mechanism against the two main party mechanisms. And from what I saw, from what I looked at over the past several decades, just getting a third party established and running and really viable seemed to be incredibly difficult. And so, and consistently they have not made large um, uh, inroads into the the politics, you know, whereas the first election I, I voted in 1992, um, there was a very viable independent candidate, which was Ross Perot. Now, granted, he was a billionaire and he invested a bunch of money in his campaign, but, you know, he, he actually did fairly well. Um, and so that was one of the reasons I ran as an independent and I chose not to run as a third party um, or in a third party. So I'm intrigued to see what happens because I think when, right, when you run an independent, you can really run on your ideas, you can run on the things you want to do. But when you're running as a part of a party, especially a smaller party, a third party, you have to take into account all of the people who are helping organize that party and the things they've started the party for. Remember, the party started before the candidate. And so there's a lot of people who have ideas of what the party is about and what they want it to do and even maybe the kind of people they want to elect. And so running within that party, you have to, you have to, you know, get on board or get everyone on board with your campaign as compared to just saying, hey, this is who I am and this is what I want to do. So I'm intrigued to hear what uh, Cornell West is going to really start saying when he's on the campaign trail. And I'm very intrigued to see how the People's Party works to get behind him and what kind of organizing they're able to do. It's going to be a very interesting um uh, campaign, I think, and definitely one I'm going to follow fairly closely. So, yeah, I welcome you, um, especially if you go onto the that the the Twitter um, link I gave you. It gives the video to Dr. West's um, uh, announcement video. It's maybe two and a half minute video, I think. It kind of lays out um, the stuff that he's going to be doing, the things he's going to be fighting for, and why he's running. So, yeah, I encourage you to check it out, take a look at it. Um, I'm intrigued, but I'm not sure what is going to come, what's going to come of it yet, but, uh, definitely something that's going to make this interesting. And of course I already heard, I think there was a, uh, something about CNN yesterday where the Biden administration is obviously watching Dr. West and now they're afraid he's going to steal votes from the Democrats. And again, the thing you have to remember, right, the two party system works tremendously hard to keep the two-party system intact. Republicans hate voters, right? The less voters that there are in an election, the more likely they are to win. They have a very racist, very sexist party. They're not growing very well, especially among youth. And so, right, the more people they can keep from voting, the better chance the GOP candidate has of winning. So Republicans hate voters and they're trying to keep them from voting. Democrats hate competition, right? So um, they're very much controlled by white men. 
but um, they have a very diverse party, uh, very diverse uh, audience. And so they, you know, they, they appeal to a broader audience, but then they end up nominating 99% of the time the most sta- status quo white landowning male from the 1%. And now they're afraid that their party, um, uh, their party members are going to start wandering and looking for someone who looks more like them. And so Republic, our Democrats really are the ones who are there saying, hey, a vote for a third party, a vote for someone outside this two-party system is a vote for the Republicans. It's a vote for Trump. And you're going to put Democrats in danger. And that, and they're going to hit that hard, I promise you, with um, Cornell West and with the People's Party. They are going to hit that very, very, very hard. Um, and so that's the way the two-party system works to keep themselves in power. And they play good cop, bad cop. Frequently, they actually share more values than they oppose with each other. And it's all about keeping the establishment and the status quo in place. So anyway, it will be an interesting, very, very interesting campaign. And uh, I think just because of the name recognition of Dr. West, and obviously he has much more of a following than I even had back in 2020, um, just because he's he's more well-known, He, I think he'll be able to make some noise. And who knows what he'll be able to do. So I'm definitely intrigued. Uh, the second thing I want to share with you was an article I was reading this morning, and this is out of Oklahoma. This is in the AP. And it sounds like a school board there recently approved the creation of a public tax-funded religious charter school. Um, And it was actually against the advice and the, the... the uh, warnings of the of the attorney general who said this is against our constitution and it's going to be a costly legal battle and it's going to be challenged, obviously, and this should not have happened, but the school board approved it anyway. And it's a Catholic school. Um, it's a it's a Catholic school that applied for a public charter school. And if you read the article, I just want to give you a few quotes of what they said. It said the archdiocese said in the vision and purpose of the organization um, section of its application that the Catholic school participates in the evangelizing mission of the church and is the privileged environment in which Christian education is carried out. And Governor Stitt, who um, recently passed some laws making uh, other changes to how education works, especially private education, he said this is a win for religious liberty and education freedom in our great state. And I I am encouraged by these efforts to give parents more options when it comes to their children's education. So again, this is a mess. Our our country doesn't do a lot of things well. It doesn't even do separation of church and state well. But the idea is a great one. Because the moment you have the church and state in bed with each other, the moment you begin that right then the church has to compel people to follow the state has to compel people to follow the religion and obviously you're not going to have a, a, a pluralistic religious state and so what most conservatives are fighting for they're not fighting for religious liberty they use that language but what they're really fighting for is christian liberty right they want the right to do whatever they want to do 
with their Christian faith, but they don't want to grant those same benefits to other faiths. They're not fighting for the right for Muslims to start a school or for Buddhists to start a school or for other religious traditions to start their own publicly funded. In fact, if they tried to do it, I'm positive communities would be opposed to it and would try to shut it down. The Christian conservative communities would do that. But they want, obviously, to create their own Christian state. And so they're not fighting for religious liberty. Don't let their language fool you. They're fighting for Christian liberty. Um, and it's dangerous, right? I, I gave a speech last week, literally last week, about how this nation's manifest destiny, this Christian nation's belief that it had God's right to rule this nation from continent, from sea to shining sea, that, that sense of entitlement led to genocidal actions like the long walk against my people, right? That's, that's what this leads to. Because once you have a religious state, now you're no longer evangelizing with the good news. Now you are trying to compel people to keep the doctrines of your religion and the commands of your church. And so you have to start doling out punishments for breaking commandments and for doing things. And obviously this is, it's a very, very slippery slope going downhill, leading to horrific actions. And it's happened over and over and over again, not just here in this country, but around the world. Ask any boarding school survivor. Ask anyone who's been colonized by Western Christianity and, and, and the church and nation states that thought they were bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? All of these things are such a mess. And so the language that's coming out of the governor's mouth in Oklahoma for a religious state is absolutely devastating and it's not helpful at all. And on top of this, right, we just have to remember, I'm going to share this, this article with you. This is another AP article. It was literally last month in Illinois that they found that the sexual abuse by more than 450 Catholic priests was so much more widespread than they ever believed. And over 2,000 children from the 1950s were sexually abused in Catholic schools in Illinois and churches. And this is the organization, right, in another state that now wants to have public Catholic schools? No, I, I think this organization needs to be looked at very closely. I think this organization needs to be addressed because this does not sound healthy, right? I, I, I really wish, and I'm going to be talking about this more, actually. I'm, I'm <laughs> today after my second cup of coffee, I am going to, I have the rest of the day set aside to do some writing and I uh, am working on summarizing each chapter. So I kind of know how I want to lay it out for the book, but I'm really excited because one of the things I'm going to be doing in my book, this new book I'm working on, which is uh, the working title right now is decolonizing faith. And when I wrote On Selling Truths, and even though On Selling Truths looked very closely at the genocidal and ethnic cleansing policies of Western Christianity, and I looked at what it's been doing to indigenous peoples and people of color for the past 1,600 years, 
I said this in many um, speeches and lectures. I said this, uh, I don't know if I said it in the book, but I've addressed it from the book, which is the book is not critiquing Israel's ethnic cleansing of Canaan, right? I was not critiquing the Old Testament call for genocide. I was saying very clearly the United States doesn't have the right to commit genocide. And the the um, Catholic, uh, the the modern nation state of Israel doesn't have the right to commit genocide or to, to do things to Palestinians and Bedouins. But I was saying that very clearly, but I was not saying that this could not happen. Um, I, I was not critiquing what was said in the Old Testament. And in this book, in Decolonizing Faith, I'm going there. I'm actually making that critique. I'm critiquing Israel's ethnic cleansing of Canaan in the Old Testament, and I'm critiquing the incredible violence that both the scriptures in the Old Testament call for and that are carried out on behalf of the faith. And I'm going to take a very close look at that. And um, already I'm, I'm forming those arguments in my mind but uh, and in the conversations I'm having, but I'm really excited to kind of lay some of the stuff out because I think especially the church has to look at how they got conditioned through their faith to even approach the idea that they had the right to commit ethnic cleansing policies and dehumanizing a people of color, right? And it is. There's a, there's a progression of, of conditioning through the faith that, that I think brings them to this point. And I'm going to be talking about that more in my book. And so um, that's going to be coming up. Uh, I'm working on that right now. But yeah, so looking at Oklahoma passing the right to have a religious boarding school um, run by a church that is accused of rampant sexual abuse, not just in the past 70 years, but, you know, we go back to the boarding schools and to the doctrine of discovery all written by this church. And it, it's, it's amazing that there's, this is something that's being celebrated by conservative Christians. But anyway, the next thing I want to talk about, and this is a bit more on the light side. <laughs> I saw this article this morning. I tweeted it out, and I want to I want to um, put it in here. There was a guy, a very wealthy multimillionaire businessman in Finland, who was arrested. Not arrested. Was caught speeding eighteen miles, thirty kilometers, eighteen miles over the speed limit, and he was fined over a hundred thousand dollars for that speeding ticket. And when you read the article, uh, and I'm just gonna read a, a, few, a few lines from this article, it says, it is common in the Nordic region where fines for traffic infringements in Finland are based on the severity of the offense and the offender's income, which police can check instantly by connecting via their smartphones to central taxpayer databases. Under the Finnish system, a day fine is calculated based on the offender's daily disposable income, generally considered to be half of their daily net income. This um, more, the more drivers over the limit, the greater number of day fines they receive. And so the fact that this businessman had several tickets in the past several years 
um, of speeding, and then he he was caught this time. He was literally fined 121 euros, 121,000 euros, um, which is uh, over 100,000 or close to $100,000 uh, in U.S. currency. And as I, as I read the article, I really liked it, right? Because when you look at, at and this we've talked about this in this country before, right? When you look at how the poor... I mean, we have the mass incarceration problem, a massive mass incarceration problem in our country. And one of the reasons is not only do we arrest and, and, and incriminate people of color at a higher rate than we do the white race, but our fines, right, when so many of our people of color are not wealthy, they're coming from impoverished neighborhoods, impoverished families, um, right? So a, a, a $200 fine, a $2,000 fine may be chump change to someone who's in the middle class and been working their whole life and has generational wealth built up and investments and all that. But to someone who's living paycheck to paycheck, working for $15 to $18 an hour, that's literally a prison sentence, right? And so this is why the wealthy, whether it's wealthy people or wealthy corporations, are so much more inclined to settle their lawsuits and pay the fine than they are to actually um, go to court because they can afford to pay the fine. Now, I'm not saying this multimillionaire couldn't afford to pay 121,000 uh, euros. But that's much more costly than a $60 fine, which is what he probably would have got here in the U.S., right? It makes you think about it a little bit more. And you do that daily. Yeah, that's going to start taking a bite out of your, out of your, your, your income. And so to see that both played out and then to see even how the driver wasn't, like, fighting it. He basically made a comment, if you read the story, he made a comment that said, well, I know the government's trying to get more money for health care. I hope this helps cover some of the loss, you know, or some of the some of the gap. I mean, it was actually funny that he he was saying, yeah, I hope this money is put to good use, acknowledging. And also he expressed regret like that. I'm, I'm sorry I did this. I, I, I should I I missed the sign that said I was supposed to slow down. <laughs> Anyway, I, I really like the way, I didn't know they did this in, in the Nordic region, but I really like the way that they base their fines, not only on the severity of the crime, but on the income of the offender. And I really think we need to start doing something like that here in the U.S. Because, yeah, so often the wealthy, which typically are the white people, are just able to afford the fine. And so there's not really a deterrent to not do anything wrong, right? And so it, you just end up paying the fine, whether you're a corporation or whether you're, you're so you, you kind of add that into your business expenses, right? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to add this in rather than the fine being based on your income. So let's have a fine based on the amount of money that the corporation or the individuals making so it actually becomes a deterrent rather than just part of their op business operating costs so anyway i welcome you to look at that article i applaud the finnish and other countries i think that's a great way to do to do those things um i also want to let you know in the month of june 
I am uh, offering free shipping on books bought from my website. So if you haven't yet bought a signed copy of Unselling Truth, or if you would like to buy uh, um, the 10-pack of the, the Book Study Special, which gives you 10 books shipped to a single address, and if you, you I also, along with that, will give you a free 45-minute uh, virtual Q&A, where beginning, middle, end of your study, you can contact my office up to a year after you order the books, and we will schedule with you um, around your schedule, schedule with you a 45-minute virtual Q&A where your study can come and ask questions about the book, and we can have a dialogue, excuse me, about the things that you're, you're questioning about the book. So anyway, but through the month of June, we are I'm offering free shipping, both on individual books and on the, the, the pack of 10 books for the book study special. So if you would like to do that, I welcome you to do that. Um, if you're watching this online, I welcome you to, uh, you can get this off of the QR code. I'll put that right here. And you can get the QR code right there um, where we have free shipping in June. And then also you can do, uh, you, we're doing my Patreon as well. And I welcome you if you'd like to get more in depth about the work I'm doing and the things I have coming up, I will invite you to join my Patreon where you can subscribe to a tier and have more in-depth Q&As and in-depth content and hear about some things I'm working on that are coming up in the next few months. Anyway, um, these are the things that are going on. There's a lot happening in our world right now, and uh, I'm grateful to be home for a few weeks and to get back into a writing schedule and to get back into a, a more consistent second cup of coffee schedule. But I hope your second cup of coffee is as good as mine is. I hope you have a great day, my relatives. Let me we'll look through the comments to see who's on here with me. Um, Oscar, hey, thanks for joining. Good to see you here. Steve, good morning to see you. Terry, thanks for joining. Good to see you here. Sonia, thank you for joining here. Um, and James, thank you, everyone, for joining me for my second cup of coffee. I hope you have a great day, my relatives. Walk in beauty. And may we all learn how to walk in beauty together. Hook on that.